Well, our sermon text for this morning comes from our Old Testament book of Jonah. And this morning, we're actually going to look at the entire first chapter, the first 17 verses. Uh, So if you're able, I'd ask you to once again stand for the hearing of God's holy word. And we'll read Jonah 1, 1 through 17 in Jesus' holy name. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come on us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, What is this that you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing for the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for yet another opportunity to gather in your house and be centered around your word. God, as we take a look at the first chapter of the book of Jonah, I pray that you would use it to show us our sinfulness, to show us the ways we have fallen short of your glory. And Lord, also use it to point us to the finished work of Christ for us. Strengthen our faith by your word, Lord, and equip us for your service, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Jonah is a unique book amongst the prophetic books of the Old Testament. For the most part, in the other prophetic books, as you read through them, what you get and what you hear about is the message that God gave to his prophet to be proclaimed to the people. Of course, you see little bits about the prophet's life, but generally those books are all about the message that God is proclaiming. 
The book of Jonah is something completely different. Jonah is only four chapters long, and you have four chapters of narrative. You've got four chapters of story, which is why this is probably my favorite prophetic book. It's probably the easiest to approach and read. The only thing we hear from the message of God's prophet is just a little tiny bit. What we have recorded is this. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the entirety of the message that we get that God gave to Jonah. It's possible that this was actually the entire content of Jonah's message that he proclaimed in Nineveh. But I think it's also possible and maybe even more likely that this is only a a summary of the sermon that Jonah preached or maybe even just one of the main points that Jonah proclaimed. But whatever the case may be, when the prophet finally went to Nineveh and proclaimed this message from the Lord, the people of Nineveh heard the message and from the smallest to the greatest, they repented of their sins and they turned to God, at least for a time. Well, the message that we have from God to Nineveh through the prophet Jonah is very short. What we do have in this book is a very beautiful picture, a very beautiful account of the love of God for his fallen and sinful and rebellious and idolatrous creation. This great account begins with the call of God to his prophet. It comes right here in chapter 1. God said, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, is called to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian juggernaut, and to call out against it, to call out its sins because their evil has made it into the presence of the Lord. This seems like a a perfect assignment for a prophet of the Lord, right? The role of the classical Old Testament prophet was really to go to the king and proclaim the word of God, to call out the sin and idolatry of the people and call them back to repentance. The messages that God generally gave to his prophets, they almost always involved uh, proclamations of judgment and proclamations of coming uh, destruction for the people. But they also had within them, especially when they dealt with Israel, this, this promise of hope and restoration as well. When Jonah receives his call, rather than listening to God, rather than being obedient to the word of the Lord, He rejects the call that God gives him, and and he tries to run away from the presence of the Lord, as if that were possible. Rather than traveling to the northeast, which is where Assyria was, Jonah instead rises and travels to the southwest. He goes to the port city of Joppa, and he finds a boat there, paying the price to carry him to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was a a coastal city in southern Spain. It would have been the edge of the known world for Jonah. He was fleeing as far and as fast as he could possibly go to try to escape the presence and the call of God. In scripture, we have this theme of going down. And it's really not ever a good thing when we see it. When you see someone going down, it's an indication of a sinful path away from the will of God. In contrast, anytime you went to uh, Jerusalem or to the temple or to the presence of God, you always went up. You went up to Jerusalem, up to the temple, up to God's presence. No matter where you were coming from, if you were headed to the temple or to Jerusalem, you were going up there. But here in Jonah 1, we see the prophet arise and then go down to Joppa. 
He goes down to the ship. Then he goes down into the belly of the ship and falls asleep. And eventually, he will be cast down into the depths of the sea to be swallowed by a great fish. We know what Jonah did, and and we know eventually what was going to happen. I think most of us have read this book before. Jonah would repent from the belly of that great fish. He would be vomited up on the shore. He would be called by God a second time to go and preach, and this time he would listen. He would go and proclaim the Lord's message to Nineveh. And then after he did, and the people of Nineveh repented, he would climb a hill, look at the city, and pout because God had spared their lives when they repented. But the real question is, why did Jonah run to begin with? Wasn't proclaiming the word of the Lord the job of the prophets of God? As always with scripture, context is essential to understanding what was going on. And the context that we most need to understand Jonah is a historical context. Without understanding what was going on in the world in the days of Jonah, it's, it's really hard to, to know why he would act the way that he would. Assyria, in the middle of the 8th century, which is when the book of Jonah was written, was already the big kid on the block. They were still growing in power, but they were the dominant world power of the day. By the time Jonah's book was written in the middle of the 8th century, uh, the northern kingdom was already paying tribute to Assyria, just so that Assyria wouldn't come in and conquer them and drive them off into slavery and take them away. We know also eventually that Assyria would be that nation that would come in and conquer the northern kingdom and even lay siege to the southern. And this may have even happened during Jonah's generation, because we're not 100% sure when the book was written. So Assyria and her capital city of Nineveh, they were things to be feared for a Jewish person in those days. Assyria was a pagan nation that had no fear of the one true God. They were also a nation that was a much greater world power than even the might of the northern and southern kingdoms if they combined. And not only that, they were an enemy of Israel and an enemy that would be their destruction one day. But knowing this doesn't tell us why Jonah didn't want to go and preach to them. Remember, you can sum up the message of the prophet with the words, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You'd think, Jonah would be excited to proclaim this message, excited to go and tell his nation's great enemy that their destruction was at hand. But for Jonah, this was not the case. So why didn't he go? Once again, context is key to understanding it. And Jonah provides the context for us in chapter 4. He fills it in by saying that he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said I was, was going to happen while I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. He knew his God. He knew that God was merciful. He knew that God was gracious. And even though these words hadn't been penned yet and wouldn't be for about 800 years, Jonah knew what Paul wrote to 1 Timothy 
or to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That message of judgment that Jonah was sent with to proclaim to Nineveh and to Assyria, as is true with most proclamations of judgment in Holy Scripture, it was a message that was given as a warning. You see, God desires that when we would hear the consequences of our sin, that we would repent of our actions and turn to him, that we would turn from our sinfulness and turn in faith to God, trusting that he is gracious and merciful and desires to forgive and make us new. Remember, the law of God doesn't just tell us how we should live our lives. It's not just our, our, our rule book or our list of things to check off. The law of God also serves to show us our sinfulness, to show us all the ways we've fallen short of God's glory, all the ways we failed to live up to God's standard. And it also shows us that left to our own devices, there's no way that we can fix ourselves. There's no way that we can rid ourselves of our own sin or make ourselves good enough to earn the favor of God. God's law, coupled with its proclamations of of judgment for sin, they aren't the thing that saves us. They never can. But they are the thing that, that gets us ready to hear the gospel, to hear us the good news of Jesus Christ. The law readies us to hear that Christ died even for sinners like us. It readies us to know that that even though we are wretched sinners, that we can be redeemed and saved. You see, Jonah knew all of this about God and the way he worked. And Jonah knew this about the message that God had sent him to proclaim to Nineveh. You see, Jonah didn't want the Assyrians to repent. He didn't want them to turn from their sins. He didn't want them to be spared. They were Israel's enemies. They were enemies of God's chosen people. They were enemies of Jonah's people. They were wicked and sinful pagans who had rejected the one true God and chased after idols. And so in Jonah's eyes, they deserved whatever judgment was coming their way. They didn't need a warning. They needed to be wiped out. You see, Jonah knew, or I'm sorry, Jonah thought that he knew better than God did who deserved forgiveness and salvation. Those are scary words, aren't they? Jonah thought that he knew better than God. I hate to say it, but I don't think Jonah's alone in this. Have you ever found yourself thinking or or acting the way that Jonah did here? Have you ever thought that perhaps someone is unredeemable? That someone is unworthy of the grace and mercy of God? Have you ever thought, how can that person be a Christian? This must be fake. There's no way. I know what they've done. I know all the stories about them. There's no way that they could actually be saved and forgiven. This is fake. That person's not good enough. There's no way they could be redeemed. Or have you ever seen someone in the pews of church and thought, what in the world is that person doing here? They don't belong here. They should have cleaned up their lives before they walked into the doors of the church. Don't they know better? When we think that way, we're forgetting a couple of really important things. And the biggest is how truly wretched and sinful we all are. You see, we aren't any more or less sinful in the eyes of God than anyone else you encounter, no matter what they've done and no matter how the world views what they've done. 
You see, in the eyes of God, I am just as deserving of eternal hell separated from God as is Adolf Hitler. And so are, so are all of you. And what's even more, Christ died for my sins, for your sins, and even Hitler's sins. You see, that gift of forgiveness and redemption and cleansing and eternal life is a gift of God's grace, freely offered and freely given in word and in sacrament, but it's something that is only received through faith. So as Christians, anytime we see anyone, no matter what they've done, truly repent of their sins and believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ for them, our response should be to rejoice because God has taken them from darkness to light and from death to life just as he did with wretched sinners like you and me. You see, none of us deserved it. None of us has earned it. But God still gave it freely anyway. All of creation is beloved by God. God the Father sent his only begotten Son to put on flesh, to live, to suffer, to die, and to rise again, to pay the price not just for the good people, or for the people that we think are good, or for the people that look like us, but for all people of all time. Now, there are unfortunately many who reject this gift of God, but that doesn't change God's love for them. It doesn't change the fact that God sacrificed his son for them and desires them to be saved. So we should view all people the same way that God does, loving them and desiring them to be saved as well. And any time a lost and fallen sinner repents, our rejoicing should echo that rejoicing of heaven because God has found another one of his lost sheep and that sheep has been cleansed in the blood of the lamb. Today, once again, we're going to be blessed to come to the Lord's table and receive that forgiveness that God offers through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So today, as you come forward, come confessing each and every one of those sins. Come confessing even those times that you have failed to see your neighbor the way you should, the way that God sees them. And trust that at the table, you receive the body and blood of your crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And know that it is enough, even for a sinner like you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this message from the book of Jonah. We thank you for this proclamation of your love for all people, your desire for all people to be redeemed and saved. Lord, you love not just the people of Israel, but even the people of the wicked pagan nation of Assyria. Thank you for loving us too and loving the people of this wicked nation as well. Lord, may, may we be your messengers going forth and proclaiming your gospel to those that need to hear it, that many might be saved that they might not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, as we get ready now to come to your table, I pray that you would strengthen us through it. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.